Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing this beautiful Friday? Not too bad. Very good. It's uh, We're deep in the heart of 100 degree weather here in Houston over the last little while. And I was just telling you, uh, my, uh, my electricity bill went from last month in 93 up to now 270. So um, yeah, she's definitely hot. I don't think the air conditioner is turned off once. So I may have to put it up a few degrees so we we don't completely you know burn our bank account on trying to keep our house cold yeah well it was too cold here so i actually spent the week teaching a customer school in midland uh and it was not uh not pleasant to be outside for extended periods of time <laughs> right right well uh, i was talking to one of our uh, customers this morning and he's up in he's got a farm up in kansas and uh he was saying that as he was driving south because he's coming down to dallas uh some of the trees were even turning colors and i said you know, I, in a weird way, I kind of miss the, the, the seasonal changes like that. But uh, he said, yeah, up there, people were talking about how hot it was, and it was like in the 80s. And so he, he's from uh, Katy, actually, originally. And okay. so he had a chuckle. He says, you guys, you don't know what heat is until you go down there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting. Even our, I know it's hot when my daughter doesn't want to go outside for more than 10 minutes because she'll do anything to get outside. And Yeah, it's just been crazy. But uh, anyway, enough of that. Uh, Matt, I'd like to start off by reading a couple uh, reviews, actually. They're starting to trickle in a little more, which is nice, gaining some more traction. Um, the first one here says, I enjoy listening to the podcast on my nine-hour drive to the rig. Pretty common. Uh, you guys are funny and informative. You guys are easy on the ears. I do my best to continue to study and grow as a mud engineer uh, by reading my books, talking with other experienced mud engineers, and listening to the podcast. Thanks, guys. That came from Marine03XX. Uh, certainly appreciate the feedback. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's how we continue to grow and, and gain uh, just a, a greater audience is through good feedback like that. So we appreciate that. Uh, another one came from JD Red 23 uh, This one is subject, high-performance water-based muds, which we just released an episode on that not too long ago. Uh, said, sure sounds like there's a bias against high-performance water-based mud by mud companies. Hmm. There are really good ones out there that are simple to run, not too expensive, easy to maintain, are contaminant resistant, perform similar to oil-based mud. Oil-based mud is liked by mud companies because they tr- the treat rates are really expensive. Uh, it didn't quite capture the rest of it. It said they dot dot dot. But either way, Matt, I think it's enough to uh, at least talk about. What do you, what's your thoughts on that feedback? I mean, I, I certainly appreciate it. Like we always say, any feedback's good or bad is welcome. So let's chat a little bit about that. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I can. I think a couple of things. You know, what has uh, you know you've known me long enough that uh, there are a few things that get me wound up, and uh, <laughs> right. I, I may overcorrect uh, in my opinions. Um, you know, yeah, I think. It's it's not unfair that there are some good systems out there, and and I, I hope I didn't knock them all in general. They they certainly have a place. I think that I I do think that it is a stretch to claim that they perform as well as oil based mud. Um, and I think that's the that's what's really hurt their adoption is they're a good solution in some places, but when someone goes to a customer and says, "Hey, this performs as well as as oil based mud," and it falls anything short of that, you know, you're kind of sunk. 
Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I still remain skeptical of that just cause I've seen that claim too many times, but, um, you know, I've been wrong before, um, probably more than once <laughs> today. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I think I, I can accept that. Yeah. Some of them do work pretty well on the low cost side of things. Um, I think those systems, at least what we see in the unconventional realm is that, the formations aren't that reactive. And so you see these low costs, high performance water-based muds, which is a mouthful. Um, and mostly it's just all about the lubricant. The other stuff doesn't really do anything. So it's a cheap shale inhibitor where you may not have even needed a shale inhibitor. Um, so, I mean, as far as cost goes, I think, you know, most of the, most of that inhibitor chemistry is pretty widely available. And, and it's certainly something that can be offered up. Um, and there are certain re- certainly regions around the globe where it's probably a nice fit. Um, you know, and, and bear in mind, our, our hat is generally centered around the Gulf Coast and unconventional shale plays. Um, so there's, there's definitely a bias there in, in some of my responses. Um, so, I, I mean, as far as, and okay, like, let, let's talk about the money. Um, High-performance water-based mud is a great, profit center um you can make a lot of mud off of money off of them uh just by way of um you know it's the same thing those inhibitors are expensive they're high margin products most of them have at least two of them along with a lubricant which is another high margin product um so it's not to say that there's not money there um oil-based mud is no doubt easier to run i think water-based mud in general is, is more difficult to run but a polymer system can be quite a bit more forgiving than uh drilling through a bunch of gumbo and some of these other things that require attention of a mud engineer. Um, I mean, I, I guess, you know, um, there's probably an implicit bias to use oil-based mud because it's got a track record and it's proven. And um, in some areas, high-performance water-based mud is probably where it's at. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I certainly understand the feedback and kind of look at myself and I could say, okay, maybe I... Maybe I said something a little too broad here or there. Um, but some of it I, th- I think I just honestly disagree with, which is fine. Sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, everyone has their, you know, we're, we have the right to disagree mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, share our experiences. And, and like mine, I mean, I don't have any much experience other than uh, working at a different mud company with uh, sort of a, a high-performance water-based mud. And, and, you know, ultimately we went back to using a traditional uh, invert emulsion. So, again, most of my experience is lower 48 and some in Canada. Um, I know in Canada, we use some high-performance water-based muds that uh, just due to environmental and just the demand pushed by, uh, you know, regulations, it certainly drove that. Um, but again, that was early in my career. I don't remember the cost differences, but certainly I think there's application, there's good chemistry out there, and, and we can't completely eliminate the possibility of, you know, perhaps using one in a certain area. But uh, again, this is, we're, we're sharing experiences, we're creating conversation, and that's the whole point of this. And so. Uh, yeah, the, the, the either gentleman or lady who responded to that, we really appreciate it and um, certainly like to have open discussion and, you know, if, yeah, certainly open to, to even, you know, further down the road. But uh, again, we appreciate the feedback, uh, continue to support the show and leave a five-star review or three or however you mm-hmm. feel that day. And so uh, anyway, let's keep going here. I think we, uh, a good topic that's uh, sort of often talked about is, you know, either clay-free or low clay uh, drilling fluid systems. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's something that in, in an area that we're familiar with, obviously there's some operators that, uh, played that, you know, played with that a little bit, um, due to, you know, I think for, for in our case, uh, it was more density control. Um, and perhaps, I mean, you, you were a little more involved with that than I was, but, uh, let's talk about that. What is a low clay or a clay free system to begin with? So I, um, a low clay or a clay free system is kind of sort of what it sounds. It has a smaller amount or perhaps avoids the use of generally an organophilic clay. So from a conventional system perspective, you know, one of your primary viscosifiers is an organophilic clay, which is basically your bentonite. But guess what? We're talking about oil-based mud systems here. So bentonite um, is water wet. Um, it will just drop out of the system or become a, a background solid. So you can treat it with an amine, make it compatible. That's the organophilic part with a base oil, and then you can get it to yield in an oil-based mud and provide some viscosity. Um, it also provides some emulsion stability and, and a couple of other things, but um, a few knocks on those systems are, are, one, they're a solid and they can, they can elevate your gels at certain concentrations or as they accumulate. Uh, uh, another is just the cost. Uh, organophilic clays can be kind of expensive. Um, that being said, the the more uh, uh, low clay or clay free systems, they typically use a surfactant or a polymer as a viscosifier, and what they do is they act on solids and kind of form a network, provide some suspension. the uh, The irony to me is whenever you say, "Oh, it's a clay free system" or "It's a, a low clay system," uh, we drill through a lot of clay, <laughs> so the term sort of ends once you put this stuff down a hole. Um, although the, the chemistry is a little different. So where a lot of these, where these systems originated was in deep water. Uh, and the reason is, if you think about it, I've got a very cold riser volume that my mud has to circulate through. So it gets thick, um, on the way back, perhaps then I circulate it back down hole. It's very cold. It's thick. And then I introduce it to a formation below the mud line. And I have a very narrow fracture gradient because I don't have that much overburden. And it's possible to have a really high ECD. And in particular, when I kick on my pumps, there's a decent chance I could induce losses, which happens a lot in deep water, which is why we ran so much casing when I drilled in deep water. So anything to address that really narrow window was, was more than welcome. And these surfactants or, or um, polymers... What they do is, is with different temperatures, they'll stretch out or coil up. Um, and so you would check your rheology at, for example, 40 degrees, 100, and 150 degrees. And you had certain limits with respect to how much your rheology could change and uh, particularly how much your gels could increase between your 10-second, 10-minute, 30-minute, um, with the idea that you didn't want the fluid setting up if you were trying to come out of the hole right. or go back in. So it was that that would be the term where flat gels comes from? Sure, like flat or fragile gels, you know, flat the idea that there isn't this big progression. Right. Um then uh fragile with the idea that they um you know, don't continue to pro progress and and break down quickly. You obviously want some gel strength for suspension, right? But you don't want it to keep increasing and increasing um as we know or you'd have really high pump pressures when you tried to kick on the pumps again. Gotcha. So what would you, I mean, and, and I know it varies just like every other mud property, but what would be a typical 
gel profile in, in something like this? So, um, I, I mean, giving exact numbers is a little dodgy just because of uh, the nature of it. But um, I actually had one uh, SPE paper I pulled up where their specifications for mud was that your 10-minute gel was no more than uh, 1.7 times your 10-second gel. Okay. And that your 30-minute gel was no more than 1.3 times your 10-minute your gel. So, yeah, um, pretty flat then, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, the irony to me as well is that you have to keep the mud pretty clean uh, because these viscose fires act on solids. In a, in a big deep water system where you have 6,000 barrels, you're not picking up a lot of drill solids you have to worry about. Um, but that was another key thing is when, when the customers started, uh, you know, determining these are the properties we're looking for, um, they could save you know, possibly a half a pound per gallon on their ECD window. Okay. That's what I was going to ask next is, I mean, that's pretty significant. Obviously if you're in a super tight window and your fracture gradient is, you know, you really got to fine tune that, uh, yeah, that, that I could see the application there. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And so, um, you get that lower ECD, um, you know, uh, a narrower window and, um, you know, the argument that, uh, some of these chemicals, there is an argument to be made that they'll have a, a higher tau zero, as they call it. So in the Herschel Bulkley model, that's your zero shear reading. Um, and the, the belief would be that that it should limit uh, settling of weight material, that, that kind of thing, settling of bayrite. Uh, most SAG events tend to involve dynamic events, you know, logging up and down the whole low pipe movements but right. which we, we talked, actually we did go through that yeah so. it was a few episodes ago so yeah. if you just started listening we actually did an episode on sag which is uh we had a lot of great feedback on that so i encourage you to look back and, and listen to that one if you're if you're not familiar with that term but uh, anyway didn't mean to interrupt oh no i i think you know the thing is though that tau zero is sort of a term that there will be arguments made that this is important for hole cleaning and um i don't disagree but suspension predominantly is for uh, the way I see it is, is carrying that weight material because turbulence is what we want to clean the hole. Right. Um, I just, any suspension, I want to keep it in a position long enough that I can get it into a higher flow path and carry it out with turbulence. Um, so we, there is the, there is some of the argument to be made. Okay. Well, if I can keep my higher ends a little bit lower, I can pump harder. Right. Um, so it, it, it may open that up. I think that some of it is it's hard to disprove, but some of it is perhaps given more credit than it deserves on that end. I got you. So aside from, you know, the flat gels and the fact that you have a less, uh, just a less amount of overall solids in the system, uh, you know, what other benefits can we see, you know, with this type of system? I mean, at the end of the day, it's still oil-based mud, right? Um, I, I think, Really, it's those narrow windows. Uh, there are claims of drilling, you know, really long extended reach wells with it. Um, to be fair, you know, we've drilled 30,000 foot wells with conventional oil-based mud that we just keep clean and take care of. Mm -hmm. And with good, good engineering practices, it's okay. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, for deep water, they're kind of, I have no choice but to use these systems. Uh, they, they really do work. The technology's come a long way. I, I think if you look at the history of fluids, the, probably some of the s most significant technologies that have come out have been high-performance water-based muds and low clay, clay-free, fragile gel, flat rheology. I don't, 
yeah, I don't think anybody's really centered around a term, but yeah, but those types of systems have it's been substantial. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think the other thing that uh, is worth adding on on these systems is that narrow margin. You get some benefit, but another part of that benefit is the type of base oil that you use. Mm. Um, so offshore, you know, you'll see these base oils marketed as extra thin. Um, where they don't have a lot of the inherent viscosity, particularly a temperature response. Okay. Um, and so they might have a kinematic viscosity of 1.5 or 1.7, something really low. And, you know, diesel were at least double that. Define kinematic viscosity, because that's a term that I've heard. I have a decent understanding of it, but there's probably listeners out there that hear that and say, well, what is kinematic viscosity? Because most folks like myself that are, you know, in the mud world, work you know on rigs and then move their way into the office it's something that when we're talking to operators we typically don't mention kinematic viscosity uh the term we obviously go with is funnel viscosity so um you know i'm you know you're a pretty sharp guy i'm sure you know exactly what it is uh yeah so i'm actually googling it right now just to uh make sure i get this straight um (laughs) but uh you know it's the the definition actually is is i i wouldn't have used these words so i'm glad I, i looked it up but it's the inherent resistance to flow when no force is exerted. So okay. just as is in situ. Um, and it, it says, you know, the calculation is absolute viscosity divided by the fluid mass density. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a common, I probably should know it, it better off the top of my head. You have to look at the temperature, but um, it's, it's the common unit is centistokes. Hmm. And it's almost any data sets where somebody's marketing base oil, it's one of the key properties you're going to look for okay. as far as physical properties. Interesting. No, that's a good little side note. Um, <clears throat> we talked about, uh, you know, obviously when you start drilling, you're drilling up clays, you're drilling up different shales. So you're, you're not going to have a clay-free system in your annulus ever, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I would imagine, you know, offshore, like you said, you've got uh, huge systems you can't really dump and dilute, or even on land, if you're drilling with oil-based mud, you certainly can't dump and dilute. But you know, do folks really emphasize the solids control aspect? Because I would imagine that that's a that's a key component to running a system like. Well, I think on land it is. You know, offshore, like I said, one, if your mud starts, of course, everybody's looking at the economics, but the mud bill time is the bill. Um, right. The mud bill matters less, at least you know my experience with customers where. Of course, they're willing to spend money on solids control and make themselves more efficient. But um, the fact is that uh, really, you know, like I said, volumetrically, you don't typically run into a solids issue because you have such a huge volume of fluid relative to the hole that you're making. Right. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, solids control efficiency is, is pretty manageable from that perspective. Remember, they've got discharge requirements, so they're running cuttings dryers out there. They're they're already geared up for that stuff, at least in the Gulf of Mexico and a number of other places. Um, you know, when we look at when we look at kind of the the land base, what we see is um, one. I, I think I have a lot of questions when somebody when a customer really wants to use one of these systems on land. Okay. Um, so why is that? Because I have a question on whether it's actually technically necessary. Um, Good point. Even in even on the shelf. Um, Offshore, I, I, it was okay. We don't have a big thermal gradient. We don't really have a tight ECD window. Um, what what is the reason to spend this extra money? Um, it's oh well, I was told I'd get better hole cleaning, and it's like okay, well, did 
did we look at hydraulics to show that you get better hole cleaning? Well, no. Um, I was told I could keep a lower oil water ratio. I was like, well, how much? And like, oh, a couple of points. Like, when we build up some drilled solids, do you think you'd ever know the difference? Um, and so there were just sort of these speculative, I, like, I can't really disprove them. I just scratch my head because I say, look, why don't we, why don't we run the hydraulics and do the engineering and say, you know what? It looks like we really need this. Right. Um, I mean, look at the Permian Basin. Do we actually know when we're going to go on losses? I mean, do we know what our fracture gradient is? And so if I'm going to save a couple of tenths on my ECD, what are the odds that saved me? Sure. Um, I just, I have questions. Yeah. Um, and my observation is that when I've seen these systems run out there, they don't follow any of these rules on gel progression or anything else. It's just a different kind of viscosifier. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and the thing we run into on land is not only that, but we tend to run our muds pretty dirty. Like we, we try and get them. We want to keep our properties and make sure we have drilling performance, but there's also a cost issue with dilution that everybody's focusing on. Mm-hmm. So we do, we spend a fair amount of resources trying to, if we're near TD, get by at 15% low grabs, right? And so these, these viscosifiers are, are interacting with all that. They're making my gels go nuts. They're, they're doing these other things, and the only thing I can do is really dilution. Um, I think the chemistry is interesting. I think the technology is interesting. Uh, for me, I'm just a little uncomfortable with it on a regular basis unless we have like a, a thinner that actually disables the effect of, uh, you know, a surfactant that I can't get out of the system through any other way than dilution. Right. Um, and, you know, it's scary, the idea that a Derrickman could, you know, hey, put in five gallons of this and it's, oh, yeah, put the whole drum in. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's just there. There's that risk, but right. you know where we would use it on on land is, and and where we've we've seen a little bit of a benefit is in flow prone areas, um, Midland Basin where they want to drill the intermediate with oil based mud. Um, they're likely to take a flow on organo clay is when it sees water, it's bent night. It, you know, y- you could see some pretty adverse response, and so they tend to tolerate water a little better. Um, I guess even that is a relational thing because mm-hmm. if I take, you know, 300 barrels in my mud system, I'm hosed whether <laughs> I had a clay free or a conventional system. Sure. Um, so I, I think, um, I think that, uh, this is really great technology, especially, um, if you have a big thermal gradient, if you have a really tight window, you're trying to engineer around, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think it's like we talked about high-performance water-based mud. You know, it's, it's a tool in the toolbox. Right. It definitely has a place. Um, it's just, let's make the distinction between, you know, where to use it, where to not, and, and uh, you know, make sure that we do the work that it's as successful as possible when we do. Right. Because um, I would spend the extra money because I was on a really critical well. Sure. Yeah. So That makes sense. What about your thoughts on... Uh, free or solids free water-based muds is that a term is that something that's you're familiar with is that is there other systems out there like that well i mean yeah, you know we go to clay free we talk about inhibitive systems right mm-hmm. or if we're trying to call it clay free because i'm maybe the argument is i'm not adding clay right right so i wouldn't want to add reactive clay to a high performance water-based mud as a viscosifier because the encapsulator is going to get tied up 
sure. on material added system and not the reactive cuttings. So there's not too many people out there marketing clay-free or solids-free water-based muds because ultimately it's, I mean, you could go with like an all-liquid polymer mud, right? Water-based sure. mud, which I know in Canada we've, we've run, um, you know, in different scenarios. Uh, so anyway, it just I haven't seen that down here, so I was curious if you ever came across that. I mean, uh, you know, I've run pure xanthan systems and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it was like drilling with brine is technically. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, no, not really. You get, you get into the reason we add all that other stuff is to control properties. Right. Um, so um, I, I think probably some of that is the, these systems have been pretty, pretty aggressively marketed and it was probably catching the wave from that. Yeah, that's purely shameless speculation. I speak for no one and offer no criticism to anybody. I just think it, you know, <laughs> you get a buzz and everybody starts talking and yeah, sure. It doesn't have clay in it, you know? Um, and it, you know, I, I think that even the advent of these systems on land, um, it may have been, and let's put on our tinfoil hats here. When you really saw these things get introduced on land, it was, it seemed to be, and I, I say this carefully. Don't get too mad, everybody. But um, you know, it seemed to coincide with the moratorium offshore. Mm. It seemed to be that during Macondo, when no one could drill, there was a lot of this mud sitting around, and and people said, "Yeah, you know, let's let's sell it. It's inventory." Mm. Um, and offered up some of these claims, which weren't untrue. They were just progressively less true in land application. Gotcha. Um, and. So, uh, you know, I find myself in a position right now where I'm meeting with a customer about a problem and it's, let's run a low clay system. And, you know, it's, it's like any of these things. I don't, I don't like picking a solution before I know the problem. Right. And I'd like to either go to the lab or, um, you know, review some offsets and do some engineering, run some hydraulics and then come around and say, yeah, you know, I, I think we need this. Sure. Um, and you know, I, I kind of try and stake my reputation on that, that I'm not going to recommend something to you that, uh, unless I'm really confident and believe it, that it's going to solve a problem. Right. Which, which I mean, screams integrity, right? I mean, we're obviously in a position where, yeah, you, you can go into a position and spin something that may or may not fit that application. But, you know, as, as an industry, you know, in, in general, we need to do our due diligence. We need to do our engineering and, and not use things, uh, that just don't aren't fit for purpose so you know and that that's really the whole idea behind this is you know do the proper planning get the right information and and find the right you know solution for the problem instead of just you know hearing buzzwords fly around and all of a sudden it's like hey that sounds good my buddy drilling or engineer or whoever it is you know had success with this and let i want to try it well yeah that'd be great but let's do the proper planning and make sure you're you know, we're giving you the proper solution or who would, who would ever my company, you know what I mean? So. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, these things can be exciting, right? You hear about the next big thing. Like, I don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> For um, sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's different. It's, it's outside the routine. Like I, I understand the mindset that can get you there. Um, it's just, you know, even I think the point of this podcast and some of the other things we're doing is if, if we have everybody with a little bit more information, we can solve bigger problems. Of course. Yeah. Cool. Well, I don't really have any more questions, Matt. You got any closing words? Um, you know, I I don't think so. I think uh, this is well. I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think these systems definitely have a place. You see them available from a lot of different folks. You you probably understand the terminology is a little bit convoluted. 
Um, but, uh, you know, do the engineering. Um, I think, I think we pride ourselves on, on being able to do tests and do big things, I think as an industry. Um, and I think this is a tool in the toolbox, but it's not the only tool. And sometimes the best solution could just be really good engineering practices with, with what you have. And if you need to bring in the big guns, um, you got a few other things in your back pocket. Exactly. No, that's perfect, Matt. Well, uh, everyone out there, thanks again for listening. Until next time, signing out. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.